This is The Guardian. Just a warning, in this episode we discuss sexual assault and sexual violence. Please take care while listening. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal land, and this is The Full Story. A controversial children's book is causing furor online this morning, the sex education book being labelled by some as too graphic. Recently, a book on teen sex education was pulled from a major retailer's shelves amid a public and moral backlash. ABC personality Yumi Steins has come under fire for a book she co-authored about sex aimed at children as young as eight. And one of the authors, Yumi Steins, was bombarded with violent threats on social media. A few days later, at a Senate inquiry into consent laws around the country, Australian universities were put on notice for scrapping a $1.5 million sexual consent campaign. Today, Guardian Australia's political reporter Amy Ramikas on how our institutions are failing victim survivors of sexual violence. It's Monday, the 31st of July. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Hello. You sat in on a Senate inquiry into consent last week. What was that all about? This inquiry has been set up to talk about consent laws across Australia, proposed laws and laws that are already in existence and whether they need to be harmonised. The report is coming back in September, uh, but there is a possibility that they're going to need some more time because we saw a lot more canvas than just consent laws. What we have heard time and time again from all of the witnesses across those three days of hearings is that it is more than just consent, that it is sex education for kids, that it's what universities are doing, it's what police are doing, it's what's happening in the courts. It all needs to work together for us to have actual impact on what we're doing here. And it's no point in saying, hey, we've got consent laws. If after something goes wrong, we still don't know how to handle it. Universities have long been criticised for not doing enough to keep students safe on campus and they were really grilled at this inquiry. What did they have to say for themselves? 
Well, not a lot, really. They said the usual, that each university has a plan, uh, that everyone is very aware of the issues of rape and sexual assault on campus and that, you know, the statistics are shocking and that they need to stop this. But when it came to actually what is happening at universities, uh, the answer is pretty much the same as we've heard in previous years, which is it's complicated, not a lot, we're working on it. What's behind this lack of action, Amy? It's hard to say what's behind the lack of action. I mean, personally, this is my opinion, I think that there is commercial concerns behind it because nobody wants to be known as the rape campus. Uh, I think that there's also just some uh, discomfort over actually addressing these things because it would mean dealing with systemic problems within universities and the colleges at large, uh, which universities treat as separate to the university, which I think a lot of people would be surprised by. So there's a whole bunch of things that are going on in universities, but what is clear is that not enough is being done to address sexual assault and rape on university campuses, which is something that the group End Rape on Campus Australia have been advocating for and pushing for for years and years. And they gave Mm. some evidence in this uh, inquiry which shocked the senators, particularly Liberal Senator Paul Scar, who could not believe some of the examples he was hearing. I'm just absolutely appalled um, by what I've heard uh, and, and I think people need to be held accountable uh, and I think uh, there needs to be fundamental change because I, um, I'm deeply, deeply disturbed and could not believe that the universities had not done more to address what was happening on their campuses. What was one of those examples that he was shocked by? So one of the examples was uh, a a female student who had been assaulted in her dorm room in in her college who just asked to not sleep in the same room where her rape occurred. Uh, And the university was like, oh, sorry, we can't do that. We can't move her. Uh, And so she ended up not continuing her education. There was another example of a woman who was assaulted on her university campus on camera and it took her years to be able to get the footage from the university because they didn't want to release it. And by the time they did, the chances of her actually identifying her attacker were long gone. These were just some of the examples that were given. And worse than that, it's that they weren't in isolation. We were told that these sorts of things are happening all of the time. Amy, that is really shocking. We do know that the universities were given $1.5 million by the government to start a campaign about consent. Did the inquiry learn what happened to that money or that campaign? We didn't get the campaign. What we got was a 46-page booklet on best practice for universities. And the reason for that is pretty opaque. We don't know why the consent campaign was ultimately scrapped. Universities Australia Chief Executive Katrina Jackson said... The reason that that campaign did not go ahead is that considerable work, we determined that it wasn't going to have the cut through uh, that we had hoped it might have. That it was because concerns had been raised in the focus group. And after consulting with both our members and doing additional um, uh, focus group testing, 
we came to the conclusion that the materials were not going to have the cut through that we'd hoped for. But she wouldn't say particularly what those concerns were, other than that they thought that the campaign uh, was not able to appeal to the broad amount of students that it would need to, given the different experiences of students on campus. There is some suggestion that there were particular vice chancellors who vetoed the campaign, that they didn't want it to go ahead. And that is what ended the campaign. And that's why there is a booklet that universities can look at and rely on for best practice. But that doesn't actually do anything to say, hey, this is something that we're making public. This is a campaign. So everybody knows what we say when we mean consent. And so there are quite a few questions to be answered about that campaign. But more than that, there are calls to standardise what universities do. That one of the big issues is that universities don't have to report uh, assault allegations. There is no standardised response. Students sometimes think that they're reporting what happened to them, but it actually turns out that they're only disclosing what happened to them and they have to go through an Mm. entirely different process in order to report. The Senate committee inquiry also discussed a book for young children called Welcome to Sex, which was written by Dr. Melissa Kang, who used to be the Dolly Doctor, and author Yumi Steins. It was taken off the shelf in bookstores last week. What did the inquiry say about that? We had, uh, you know, researcher, advocate and journalist Jess Hill talk about how Australia is still quite Puritan when it comes to these issues. When children are educated, they are less likely to be naive and vulnerable to influence. It is exactly the opposite. And I think it's a good, it's a good reminder for this inquiry that this kind of puritanical response is still broadly held um, in the Australian public. So not to get too confident that we've come a long way, that certain sections of society have, and certain sections are quite happy to whip up a puritanical fervour over sex education for young people. And that the backlash against Welcome to Sex showed that. Now, the book was pulled from shelves in Big W, not because of the content, but because staff were being harassed by people who were protesting against the book and saying, hey, we don't think that this is appropriate for children, when actually it is appropriate for children. It's been, it's age appropriate sex education. And you're more likely to sit down with a parent and go through this book as it applies to you through for your age. This is not something that kids or eight-year-olds are going to be buying themselves. And we know from evidence that about 90% of parents actually want better age appropriate sex ed for their kids. And that is because if kids who have sex ed, appropriate sexual education, are aware of their body, are aware of what's happening to them, and actually the research shows are more likely to delay sexual experiences than bring them forward because they're more aware of of the significance of it. That was why the book was mentioned, because it is important that we have these resources in Australia. But it was pointed out that the reaction shows how much of a mountain we have to climb when it comes to these issues. The inquiry also heard from Julie Perkins, who is the chair of the First Nations Women's Family and Domestic Violence Program. What gaps did she identify when it comes to support for Indigenous people? 
Julie Perkins spoke about how rape and sexual assault is still not taken seriously by a lot of the people involved in the system when it comes to First Nations people. She also spoke about some of the difficulties when it comes to uh, dealing with it within the community. We just have to make this stronger and firmer and um, continue on with this and promote this judgment on victim survivors and First Nations people is just unacceptable. Mm. It is, there is just zero tolerance of this. And she was saying how we need to make sure that the process is safe for them because a lot of times police are not a safe place for First Nations people. We know this. And so if they do want to report, then they need to make sure that it is a safe environment. And that means having First Nations people every step of the way, not just in reporting, but then in dealing with the courts, in dealing with other advocates, in dealing with the entire process, because it's not something that we do particularly well. And again, it's not uniform. It's not standardised. How you are treated when you come forward to the police with an allegation can depend on where you are, what state it is, what police station you've walked into, who has been trained in that police station, who you get at the front desk, who is taking your statement when you get to the court, whether your person who's going to be representing you legally has been trained in a trauma response, whether the judge has been trained in a trauma response, whether everybody knows about rape myths and how to properly direct a jury. There is so much work to be done here and there are so many different intersections of issues that come up, whether you are Indigenous, whether you are trans, whether you are disabled, whether you are from a multicultural community, whether English is your second language. So many different issues. We just don't seem to have a handle on any of it. Just in that session when they were talking about the courts, I was actually quite shocked to learn that victims' counselling notes could end up being used as evidence against them. Is this a common practice and uh, am I the only one that didn't know this? Again, it depends on what jurisdiction you're reporting it in. Some places have protections against it in a lot of cases, but it doesn't guarantee that it's not going to be used against you. And that was one of the issues that Julie Perkins also raised is that people will not seek help because they know that these things could be used against them if the case gets to court. And so that is a huge problem. But it's not just it's not just your counselling notes. It's your phone records. It's the messages that you sent to friends. It's the emails that you sent, the phone calls that you made. It's pretty much your entire life being opened up. And it comes back to this concept that we heard a lot of about rape myths. Rape myths. Amy, what What are rape myths? A rape myth is an idea that the average person has about what happens when somebody is raped. And that may be, did they fight? Did they not fight back? Did they not say no? It might be, were they happy after the rape? Are there messages where they're kind of joking about it or laughing it off? It might be that you have been in contact with the person that you've alleged assaulted you. And that's another rape myth that people just immediately cut or contact. And it might be that you didn't report for several months or even years. People think that we tend to just, you know, go from being raped straight into a police station when the evidence is a delay is normal because people need to come and think about what happened to them. And that that is a process. I mean, 
the first time that I was raped, I did not fight back after a while. I did disassociate. I went somewhere in my head where I wasn't being hurt. And does that accord with somebody's idea of what a rape victim should do? I made jokes about it to my friends over the next few months in order to cope with it. I went and slept with as many people as I could find because I was trying to reclaim some of the power that had been taken from me. And I jokingly referred to it as my tour de whore. If that went to a court, how would that play out to me? That is how I coped at that particular time. Mm. It doesn't mean that I wasn't still sobbing myself to sleep or trying to scratch my skin from my body in the shower. It's just how I coped. But the rape myth is that a woman, and it would be a woman, a white woman, attacked by a stranger on the street, would go and immediately report and not say anything about her rape that could be misconstrued and would be able to go, oh, this is the time that I said no and this is the time that I screamed no and this is the time where I said, please stop doing that, would be able to have entire details about their attacker, what led up to it, what happened during it, what happened afterwards. And In the absence of that perfect story, juries tend to say, "Mm, I'm not sure if that's what I think a rape victim would do. Amy, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, You wrote last week that the inquiry heard that Australians are actually more likely to believe women lie or exaggerate reports of sexual violence. I found that really alarming. Why are we so behind? I think it's partly the good bloke myth. Uh, Nobody wants to think about uh, somebody we know potentially being a sexual assaulter or a raper. Um, It's partly because there have been some high-profile cases where we have seen victims' lives be opened up and torn apart and the most damning parts of those cases shown up for uh, public consumption without context or, you know, just feeding into rape myths. That's another way of doing it. And partly because we're pretty behind on this when it comes to age-appropriate sex education in terms of training our police officers, our court officers, our judges, our lawyers, even, you know, some of the people that you come up against in the medical profession, the first responders, how to deal with somebody who says they have been raped. We don't know how to deal with it. So we have this pervasive idea of what somebody would do in that situation, which is not the reality, because you don't actually know how you're going to react until you're in that moment. And I pray to God that nobody listening ever has to work out or ever has to know how they would react in that moment. Next, why Australia's sex consent laws need to change. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The inquiry reached a consensus that consent legislation alone would not change rape culture in Australia. But did they address what it would take? I mean, I think those three senators, Nita Green from the Labor Party, Larissa Waters from the Greens and Paul Scar from the Liberal Party were properly shell-shocked by what they heard. Uh, I mean, Paul Scar is talking about whether there should be an inquiry into what's happening on university campuses because of what he heard. And this inquiry was only really meant to kind of look at consent laws and whether we need to harmonise them. And then suddenly they're just like, oh, my God, like, holy shit, we need to do so much more. And that more is changing society's attitudes on this. Mm. It's mm. it's starting from scratch. It's giving proper sex education across the board and not just as a once-off, something that can be revisited as somebody grows or they come into different situations. It's having training about how to deal if somebody discloses this to you. It's having proper counselling services set up so people know where they're supposed to go and how they can be reacted to. It's all of these things that need to happen and they all need to happen together because if we don't see those changes, just changing consent laws, well, that's just another charge, but it's going to be fought in the same courts and without some sort of societal attitude change, we are going to see the same results that we have been seeing, which is less than 2% conviction rate and we don't even know how many cases aren't even reaching the courts because people go, why would I report? Last year, you wrote a book on reckoning, about the reckoning happening, about the treatment of women in Australia. After sitting through that inquiry last week, how do you feel it's going? I just think that the gains that we have made over the last couple of years with people starting to treat these issues seriously, we've taken a pretty big step back. We have so far to go. I mean, I don't think I was the only one crying as I was listening to these people detail what's happened to them or detail what they're up against on behalf of their clients or just detail how hard it is for First Nations people. And none of this is new. We all know what is happening. We've all heard it time and time again. The only way that we are going to change this is if we actually sit down and examine what we think happens during a rape completely get rid of our idea that we need to have perfect victims because nobody is perfect. We need to sit down and go, are our courts actually set up for this? And if not, do we need to think about having specialised courts, at least at first? And we need to start talking to our kids about what we mean when we say consent, because one of the other things that was raised is that when kids are spoken to about it, particularly in high school, they're like, but what if, but what if, but what if? 
And we know that when we talk about affirmative consent, somebody's like, well, what if, you know, we've been in a relationship for years and we do it every Thursday night and just one night she doesn't feel like it. Should I have to ask her or him? Well, yes. Yes. Affirmative consent just means, hey, is everyone having a good time? Yeah, we should keep doing this and having this good time. It's not that difficult a concept. And yet we keep coming up with what ifs. And the issue and everything that we're talking about lives in the what ifs. And until we can get rid of them, we're going to keep having this conversation. Thanks so much um, for talking to us today, Amy. Thank you. And I really hope that for anyone who is listening, that if this has brought up anything for you, that you have a support network uh, and that you have people to talk to. And as always, you're not alone. That was Amy Ramikas, political reporter at Guardian Australia. Do check out her coverage of the inquiry. We'll post links to her articles on the full story page. And if you need support or information on rape or sexual assault, you can call 1800 RESPECT 24 hours a day. That's 1800 737 732. Or you can even chat to one of their representatives online at www.1800RESPECT.org.au. We'll put that link on the full story page as well as links to other support services. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Phoebe McElraith and Karishma Luthria. Sound design by Daniel Simo. The executive producer is Hannah Parks. I'm Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.